morning. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to be with you. Uh, Matt did not mention that um, I met my wife at the University of Kansas, the greatest university in the universe. <laughs> and I've been married 36 years. When I first met my wife, I was her math tutor. So there are advantages of knowing math. <laughs> and when uh, my friend said, I would love to introduce you to someone that looks like Diana Ross, I said, count me in. <laughs> uh, we have two kids. Uh, Brianna is 30 and Caleb is 24. Both live here in St. Louis. In fact, my son is here. Caleb, the one with the beard, the nice beard. He's sitting in front. And I also want to um, make mention of some good friends of mine, Cardell and Sandy. Ra wave your hands. We've been knowing each other for years. So uh, Matt asked me to uh, close your series on faith and work. And I thought it would be proper to uh, look at Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Now, let me encourage you to turn there. We will not read uh, those Two chapters, but I will read one passage and uh, highlight and read other passages as we go along. But I, I would love for you to turn with me, if you have your smartphone or if you have an actual Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And uh, let, me, let me give you permission you can either say amen, let's practice that. Amen. amen. Okay, let's say it with more. Let's, let's imagine we're at a Cardinals game. Amen. amen. Or you may say, ouch. Very good. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through Three, we find these words, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. In verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it, he rested from all his work of creation. Introductions are quite important. Ms. Johnson, my language arts high school teacher, would say introductions are important for essays or stories. Filmmakers, if they were in the room, would say introductions are important for films. Take this film, Up, for example. How many people have seen this film? It's a, it's a great, tender film. It's in the introduction that we learn that young Carl has a hyper-curiosity 
and fascination with flight. It's also in the introduction that we learn that Carl meets his future wife, Ellie, as young kids. It's in the introduction that we see Carl and Ellie eventually tie the knot. It's in the introduction where we learn that Ellie apparently loses their first kid. And my wife and I can relate to that because my wife miscarried our first baby. It's in the introduction where we learn that Carl had promised Ellie a trip to Paradise Falls in South America. But Ellie unfortunately died before that trip could materialize. Without the introduction, one would assume that Carl was a crotchety, grumpy old man. But with the introduction, we learn that Carl loved Ellie. We learn that Carl was a good man with a vivid imagination. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is like an introduction, and some scholars call it a prologue to the entire Bible. If we miss this bookend, this prologue, this introduction, we miss tons about, or knowing tons about the Bible. This is the introduction of all introductions. This introduction, this bookend, is very important because we, we're introduced to the main character of the Bible, namely God. That's what one scholar called the biblical narrative the theodrama, theo meaning God. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we are introduced to God. It's in this introduction that we learn three important lessons about work. The first lesson we learn from this introduction of all introductions is the dignity of work. The late scholar and pastor, Eugene Peterson, referred to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 as the journal of work. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we are introduced to God as a diligent and intelligent worker. We know this from the passage I read for, for you, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The word for work in this passage in Genesis 2 one, two, and three is Malachi. Malachi. This word Malachi or work means work performed by a businessman or woman. It means a field worker. It means a craftsman. It means an artisan. When we think about God's creative work week, we find a God with varied interests. As God dibbled and dabbled in many fields, God demonstrated his interest, for example, in astronomy as he made the stars, the moon, and the sun. God demonstrated his interest in botany as he made all types of trees and foliage. God demonstrated his interest in zoology as he made land animals like the wolf, the dog, the tiger, the giraffe. God demonstrated his interest in marine biology as he made sea animals like the whale and the octopus and the dolphin. 
God demonstrated his interest in human anatomy as he fashioned Adam and Eve. So what does all this mean? This means that work is intrinsically a good thing. It means there's dignity in work. There is dignity in work because we are dignified as God's image bearers. We say, it says in Latin, amago dei. We, uh, we are amago dei bearers. There's dignity in work because on the open pages of Scripture, we come face to face to a God who is working. What does all this mean? There is no such thing for the Christian as secular work and spiritual work. All work for the Christian is sacred and priestly. In God's opinion, some work does not rank higher in importance than other work. A pastor's work and a janitor's work are equally important in God's economy. A trash collector's work and a missionary's work are equally important in God's economy. Changing a diaper is just as important as teaching a Sunday school class in God's work view. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. knew a little bit about the dignity of work. He writes this, not all men are called to specialize or professional jobs. Even fewer rise to the heights of genius. Many are called to be laborers in the factories, fields, and streets. But no work is insignificant. All labor that uplifts humanity has dignity and worth and should be pursued with respect for excellence. Last week, I went to Walgreens to get a health screening to participate in a, my company's health program. And while I waited, I noticed, I noticed this disabled young lady cleaning the glass doors to the cold beverages. She would spray her liquid and then wipe uh, these glass doors. And while we might think such work is futile or mundane, this work has dignity and value because the one doing the work has value, dignity, and significance. And notice what I did not say. Our work does not give us significance, significance and value and worth. Rather, our work has value and significance because we have value and significance as those made in God's image. And don't miss this. All work except sinful work is sacred and has dignity. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says we are made in God's image. Image is a noun in these verses. But think of this, this noun as a verb. In other words... One of the primary ways we image God is by working. Work is not a curse. Our workplaces may, might be hellish. I'm sorry, did I say that? <laughs> I, pro I probably should say it again. Our workplaces may be hellish. <laughs> Got an amen out of that. We might have awful bosses. 
<laughs> you guys are quick uh, students, <laughs> quick learners. That's wonderful. We may have annoying and rude coworkers. We might have some unreasonable work hours. But work is still inherently good. There's dignity in working with our hands, our heart, and our heads. So imagine, friends, my college pastor would often say, beloved. So imagine, beloved, those who suffer from a dignity deficit. In other words, imagine the jobless, the unemployed. And Matt and I had some disagreement on how to pronounce rooftop. <laughs> but what is rooftop doing to overturn, overturn this dignity deficit? <laughs> what is this church doing <laughs> to overturn this dignity deficit? In other words, what is this church doing to create a dignity surplus? In other words, what is this church doing to help the jobless find jobs? And with all the resources in this church, just think about inmates who get out of prison. The reason why they end up back in prison is because they cannot find jobs. And with all the connections and networks in this room, we can put a real dent in the jobless rate here in St. Louis. Uh, William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, once said, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. So I never met Brad in person. I've interviewed Brad over the phone for a book project, but Brad pastors a church in a neighborhood in Chicago. This neighborhood has an unemployment rate in the double digits, like 23%. So when Brad and his colleagues were refurbishing this old building that would eventually become their worship center, they were getting knocks on the door from drug pushers and gangbangers and prostitutes. And Brad knew about what Temple said about the church blessing others. Brad also read the story about Ruth and Boaz. Remember, Boaz didn't give Ruth a handout. He said, come work in my field because there's, dig there's dignity in work. So instead of Brad giving these drug pushers these gangbangers, a handout, he put a hammer in their hand. He said, work eight hours for me, and I will give you a check at the end of the day. And so he put hammers in these drug pushers' hands, these gangbangers' hands, and they worked for an honest wage. And now this church is known for, yeah, that's, that's the church that helped me find a job. 
That's the church that helped my family member get a job. And oh, by the way, some of these former game bangers and drug pushers are now members of his church. And so I need to ask this church, uh, what are you doing for the jobless here in St. Louis? What are you doing for the homeless? You see, that's, that's the faith and work message as well. We've been blessed with jobs to benefit others. We've been blessed to be a blessing to others. So what is, what is this church doing to help the jobless find jobs? What is this church doing? I, and I saw your, your efforts to, to collect perishables and non-perishables for the homeless, but what is this church doing to help the homeless find jobs and find homes? This church, I think, has the resources to do that. So if I were to take a camera with me and just interview people around this neighborhood, around this church, the, pro- the proximity, uh, in proximity to this church, what would people say about, about rooftop? What would they say? Or would they say... And my son is probably going to kill me when I say this. Will they say that church is, that church is dope? <laughs> He'll probably uh, send me a text later. Will they say that church is making a positive economic impact on the community and the city of St. Louis? Will they say that church helped me to find a job? So we learn about the dignity of work in this introduction of all introductions. The next thing we learn from this introduction is a definition of work. I've been talking a lot about work. Let me read for you Genesis 1, 28a. Genesis 1, 28a. We find these words. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Four imperatives in Hebrew. The word subdue in Genesis 1, 28a means to work or to cultivate. Adam and Eve were to work in such a way to spread the blessings of Eden to all people. They were to work in such a way that all people might flourish. God's intent from the very beginning is that all people might flourish and have the basic necessities for living. Adam and Eve were to work in such a way to further develop the earth. They were to continue where God left off. They were to make the earth livable. In Genesis 2.15, we find these words. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. To work the garden took moral wisdom. We might put it this way, to work the garden took virtue. And could I ask you a question? This is a personal question. What are you doing to cultivate virtue? What are you doing to cultivate a virtue of love for God and love for neighbor. 
And your neighbor is your coworker, by the way. Your neighbor is your boss, by the way. To work the garden took more wisdom, physical strength, imagination, creativity, and effort. In Genesis 2.15, Adam and Eve were called to prepare, to tend, to cultivate the garden, to make something of it. Adam and Eve were called to prepare, to tend, to cultivate the garden in such a way to bring beauty out of chaos. So in subduing the earth and in working the garden... Adam and Eve were to take raw materials that God provided and add some imagination and elbow grease and make stuff. In the same way, we take ideals and make a story. We take facts and mix in some careful analysis to make sound arguments in the court of law. We take our administrative skills and a love for math to make Excel spreadsheets. We take data and generate insights. We take items from the grocery store or the backyard garden and make a meal. We take raw metals and make iPhones. Just like the garden needed Adam to cultivate it, Adam was essential. We are essential. God invites us to cultivate, to work in our respective gardens. That garden could be your home. It could be the office. It could be an operating room. It can be the home office. It can be working in the streets. But based in part on Genesis 1, 28 and 28a and Genesis 2:15, this is how we define work at Made to Flourish. Work is, is it up yet? Work is all moral and meaningful activity, whether paid or unpaid, apart from leisure and rest. Now, if you notice this definition, that, that means even those that have retired from compensated work are still engaged in work. But I love this definition of work from the late John Stott. He writes, the expenditure of energy, manual or mental, or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. You see, our work serves others. Our work serves our neighbor. It is through our work that we love our neighbor as ourselves. The great commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But it's through our work is one of the channels in which we love our neighbor. Let me rephrase that. It's through our, it's through our good quality work that we love our neighbor, like our bosses, our coworkers like the client or the end user of our product or service. You see, I, can, I cannot imagine Jesus making bad tables or chairs when he was a carpenter. Jesus did superb work. So Jesus is our model to do good work, not shabby work, but good work. And I hope you know, and I'm sure Matt covered this in his series, it's when we do good work that we actually are engaged in worship to God Monday through Friday. We just don't worship when we gather. 
We worship God even as students. Your primary workplace is your classroom. And as a professor, I told my students, I'm not your primary professor. Jesus Christ is. So doesn't he deserve good quality papers? Doesn't he deserve good work in the workplace? Amen. That's a great place to say amen. So we often view workers at McDonald's and Chick-fil-A as the only workers in the service industry. But truth be told, we're all workers in the service industry. Just think how you have been served through the work of others. Consider this shirt I'm wearing. The farmer that grew and harvested the cotton served me. The shirt's designer served me. The person skilled in dyeing these dots red and these diamonds blue served me. The person who put this shirt together served me. The quality control engineer that checked the quality before it was shipped served me. The manufacturer that shipped this shirt to Macy's served me. The Macy's salesperson served me by greeting me and selling me this shirt. In the same way that all these workers served me, we serve others by our work. We serve our bosses, our clients, our customers here in the United States and abroad. Our work even serves future generations. So we've learned about the dignity of work, and we've learned about the definition of work. Finally, this introduction of all introductions teaches us about a downtime from work. Let me reread for you Genesis 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So I said a moment ago, we image God by working. Let me revise that. We image God when we work and rest. And this is where we may hear quite a few ouches. We image God when we work and take downtime from work. Rest in this passage is not talking about sleeping at night. You should do that. We are commanded to take a Sabbath rest, a 24-hour break from work. Yes, in Exodus 20, among the Ten Commandments where we find commandments to not murder, to not covet, to not worship false gods, we find the commandment to cease from working 24 hours straight. Exodus 20, 8 through 11 reads as follows. Remember the Sabbath day to, to keep it holy. The word holy means to set apart this day, to guard it, to protect it. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should not do any work, you or your co-workers, 
Since families work together, this passage also includes you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God blessed the animals to be fruitful and multiply. God blessed Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. God only blessed one day, the Sabbath day. To bless, God's intention was that the Sabbath day might be life-giving to us, that it may be a gift to us that we might enjoy for refreshment. Taking a Sabbath rest is such a foreign concept to us because we live in a Sabbath-less society. Busyness is more sexy than taking a Sabbath rest. No one receives a pat on the back for taking a Sabbath rest. People who are, who are first at work and the last ones to leave, they get the pats on the back. Those who work over the weekend, over this Memorial Day weekend, for example, they will get the pats on the back. People who are uber productive get the attaboys and attagirls. But here's the scoop, friends, beloved, brothers and sisters in Christ. Taking a Sabbath rest signals to God, I trust you, Lord. Taking a Sabbath rest is, is an admission that we're not robots, that we're broken and fragile and finite human beings. Taking a Sabbath rest signals to God that I don't worship my work. Work is not meant to be the be-all, end-all. Taking a Sabbath rest is a form of self-care. My good friend and colleague and, and the former professor in counseling the covenant Dr. Richard Winter says, the Sabbath is good for our sanity. And we neglect it to our, to our peril. The, the Sabbath is good for our sanity. We neglect it to our peril. Taking the Sabbath rest signals to God that we believe he's a good God. And if he commands us to take a Sabbath rest, it is meant for our good. Sadly, I believe most of us, if not all of us, are chronic Sabbath rest breakers. And can I just be um, transparent here? There, there's four sins that I confess on a regular basis. Lord, forgive me because I don't love you with all my heart, soul, and strength. Lord, forgive me because I don't love my neighbor as myself. Lord, forgive me because I don't love my wife as Christ loved the church. And Lord, forgive me because I broke your Sabbath once again. And God is gracious enough to forgive me each and every time I confess those sins. I'm learning what it means to be a Sabbath rest keeper. I don't do it perfectly. But this is what my Sabbath rest looks like. When I leave work on Friday, 
around 5 or so, my Sabbath rest begins. And it doesn't end until Saturday at 5 o'clock. Because my week is highly structured with meetings and appointments and deadlines, my Sabbath rest is highly unstructured. So during my Sabbath rest, I don't check my email account. I don't respond to text messages from coworkers. I avoid reading books related to the work that I do. I take long walks. I spend time in God's Word. I take long baths. I take long naps. I may visit my hilarious 92-year-old aunt. I might have an occasional biblical beverage. <laughs> Jesus loved wine. Can we get an amen on that? <laughs> During my Sabbath rest, I thank God for his goodness to me. I, I thank him for the past week, and I asked him, ask him for grace for the upcoming week. Beloved, I, I highly recommend that you take a Sabbath rest. But I should correct myself. Actually, God commands us. It's not a recommendation. It's not if you get to it. God commands us to take a Sabbath rest because he's a good God and he does good things for us and he gives us good gifts like the Sabbath rest. Will your insanely busy neighbors and friends think you are odd or peculiar for obeying God and taking a Sabbath rest? Yep. But 1 Peter 2 and 9 from the King James Version says this, we are a peculiar people. So when we take a Sabbath rest, we are, we are peculiar, and that's fine, because this is what we are. I've said that Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is like the introduction of all introductions. It's here we meet God the worker. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is one bookend of the Bible. The other bookend is Revelation chapter 21 and 22. This bookend talks about city life and a new heavens and a new earth. We will work in a new heavens and a new earth, but our workplaces will be free of corruption, of backstabbing. It would be free of unreasonable bosses. Our workplaces will be free of greed, and we will take, beloved, Sabbath rest. Our task now, friends, is to be an aroma, a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth in our workplaces now. How do we give off this aroma in the workplace? We must believe and understand and live out the implications about the dignity of work. We must believe and understand and live out the implications of the definition of work. And we must believe and understand and live out God's command of taking downtime from work. We must take a Sabbath rest. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for 
this waiting congregation. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. As they return to work, some tomorrow, some on Tuesday, uh, may they uh, know that they are there to serve their coworkers. May they realize they are there to affirm the dignity of work. May they realize that they need to take a downtime from work. Lord, you're so very good to us, and we praise you and honor you, and we love you. Let every child of God say, Amen.